First Baptist Pineville guests and iCampus viewers, welcome to worship. We are so glad that you are here today. Your presence in this place and joining us online means so much to us, and it means so much to the King today. We are so glad that you are here. Connect with us today by filling out that connection card, as Thomas reminded us. Guests, if you are here in this room, would you join our pastor and his wife at the close of our service out in the foyer? We have a guest, a gift for you. We want to give you a copy of his book, The Privilege of Worship, and a copy of his second book, Growing Stronger, is also available for purchase. So join him and his wife at the close of our service today. We just It's just our way of connecting with you and greeting you as well. Do this today. Immerse yourself in our worship today. Every heart, every voice. There may be storms in your life today. They may be called Marco or Laura or COVID. But let me tell you this. God is bigger and he is stronger. And we serve a God who is triumphant and he wins. So join us as we worship together. Triumphantly, the church will rise. Come! 
sing with us, church. All hail the power of Jesus' name. We stand in honor of him and worship him together. Every voice, every heart, let's sing to the king today. room today. We worship him, all of us together.
Praise the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. It's great singing today, church. Wasn't it good to see the choir up on the platform for most of that time of worship? Thank you, choir, for your commitment to helping us to lift up the Lord in worship together. Uh, last week, we did a lot of catching up on staff anniversaries, and today we're right on time for one. Brother Thomas, if you would come join me on the platform. Uh, Brother Thomas is celebrating his 11th anniversary with us this year as our associate pastor of all things, basically. <laughs> Anything we make up, give Thomas a hand. <laughs> We have for you, Thomas, a card and gift from the church that you know all about because you do that stuff. And um, then also uh, the brochettes. Brochette has made this for you, and Jack and Rita wanted you to have that as a special gift and a memory of your service here. And we thank you for all that you do and all that Adrian does and the, the wonderful addition that you are to our church family. So we thank God for you. Thanks so much. Let's give them another hand. You really have no idea everything that Thomas does behind the scenes, and, and especially not during these last recent months where he's usually up in the booth uh, picking up cameras. And he doesn't want to do that forever. So if you're interested in pushing buttons and running cameras, we're going to be adding more cameras, and we need help up in the booth. So if that's something that interests you, please see Danny Nation, and he would be happy to get you trained and, and moving forward in that. God's continuing to move in our church, and we're so grateful for that. As we prepare to worship again, may we go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, we are so grateful for the opportunity of worship. Lord, it is a, it is a, a, a spiritually charged time to gather together in worship. Lord, we remember what it was like when we couldn't do this. And so, Lord, we don't want to go back. And we give you praise, Lord, for just the privilege of being able to gather as your people and to lift up your name. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our church and what you continue to do. We thank you, Lord, for the staff that you've assembled here. We thank you, Lord, today specifically for the Martins and the, the blessing that they have been. Lord, we look forward to the days ahead. As Kevin and I prayed this morning during our time of preparing for worship, we pray, Lord, that during this time, you'll be working in your church so that when all of this virus stuff ends, the church will rise triumphantly. And there would be a, an amazing outpouring of your spirit and your work as people even more regather. But then as internet reach continues to go out from churches around the world. Lord, we ask for awakening and revival to come. And Lord, we pray that we get to be a part of that. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship you today. We sing from the depths of our hearts to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you. 
How many of you know that we have a crisis of values in American society today? The sanctity of human life is being traded for convenience through euthanasia and for sensual gratification without consequence through abortion. We are seeing the sanctity of marriage traded for a redefinition of marriage. We are seeing Christian parents allowing their children's sports to pull the family away from vital ministry of the church and toward the pursuit of a field of dreams. We're seeing the Christian value of selflessness being replaced by the consumer value of selfishness. Interestingly, however, Americans in large part agree that we should be concerned about our loss of values and the accompanying moral decline. A 2017 study indicated that 81% of Americans are concerned about the declining moral behavior in America. But they just don't agree on what's right and what's wrong. About half of Americans say that right and wrong never change. What's right today is right tomorrow. What's wrong today is wrong tomorrow. And they would be right, by the way. Most of you are probably in that camp. But the other half of Americans say that, well, it kind of depends on whether something's right or wrong. I mean, did, did anyone get hurt? So maybe it's not wrong if somebody didn't get hurt. Or is it legal? Because if it's legal... Even though it might be morally wrong, it must be right, right? Yeah. Such questioning of basic values is indicative of the systemic value problem that we have in our nation. Now, some Christians react to the declining biblical values with stomping and screaming. You know, this is wrong, this is wrong. We got we to gotta tail it out and point it out. And, and they'll tell you you're a sinner and going to hell. And, and, and I suppose that... You'll get an amen in a lot of Bible Belt churches for that. But here's the problem. Stomping and screaming doesn't fix the problem. If there's a problem, we need to fix it. We've got to find out a way to fix it. But how do we stop a tsunami of godless values from destroying our world, our nation, our state, our community, and our homes? How do we fix the problem? Well, there are numerous suggestions out there. Some people point to the politicians. We just need to elect one politician and we can change one district at a time. It's the philosophy that says you start with the top and you work your way down. These people believe that if we elect the right people, the values will change. And certainly we want to elect people that hold our values. But I think the fix to the problem is more basic than that. Other people would say, you know what, the key to changing the value system in America is the local church. If we can change one church, we'll change one community at a time. It's the philosophy that says we start at the center and we move outward. And certainly we want our churches teaching the right values. But I think that it is even more basic than that. There are plenty of other options, but they generally fall under the two categories of either something the church does or something political policy does. But there's only one strategy for fixing the problem that will actually work. Values will change only if we follow the biblical strategy for fixing the problem. You know what that strategy is? The family. The family is the way that you change the value system. God's strategy is one home, one family at a time. God says you start at the bottom and you work your way up. God has a plan, and this plan has been about forever. It's, it's basic, it's very simple, but it is a powerful plan. It works because before God ever established the first nation and before he ever established a religion or the church, he established the home. The home, that institution preceded all other institutions and he established the home as the primary training ground for biblical values that would then influence the nation and the church. 
It is because our homes are so vital that we've been in this series called Home Improvements. This is our fourth message in the series. And you'll remember that we started this series by admitting that, you know what, we've got some problems. Because we're, we all come from imperfect families. None of us have it all together. And next we took some time looking at the plans. And we agreed that our plans for home improvement must come from God's word. In fact, that day we stood and committed to following those plans. Then we started looking at our houses and we noticed, you know what? In order to follow God's plan to renovate our homes, we've got to do some gutting. And so we picked up our sledgehammers and we admitted there's some things that we need to get rid of in our personal lives and then in the lives of our, of our family in general so that we could rebuild into the kind of home God wants us to be. And today, we start going room by room through the house, improving and pointing things towards God. We start today in the first place you enter in most homes, and that is the living room. And I'd like to submit to you that values are taught in the living room. And here's why. Because values are taught every day by the great values teachers of the 21st century. The television and the internet. And think about it. Most of us have our televisions prominently displayed in our living rooms. In fact, usually the furniture is all arranged around the television. And we gather before this screen and we say, Entertain me, teach me, guide me, O thou great one. And we welcome these people into our homes and we watch hours upon hours. And then while, now, while we're watching the television, we've all got these things out. and We're scrolling while we're watching and then we're texting and we're, yes, ooh, and we're asking this. What else do I need to know? What other kind of things can you teach me? And I don't need to quote the statistics about how many televisions we have in our home or how many devices we have in our homes or how much television we watch or how much screen time we have. We know the answer to all those statistics is a lot. Television and the Internet's influence on us is subtle, but it is reinforced every hour of every day by repetition. It's a known fact that the more you hear something, the more you believe it to be fact or to be the norm. And so the values our media sources teach us repeatedly, they do so at such a rate that a church could never counter them no matter how great the ministries or the programs in that church or no matter how much content we push out. Godless and even anti-biblical values are winning out because we've been trying to fight the battle the wrong way while they've been actually fighting the battle the right way. You see, we're trying to do it one politician at a time. We're trying to do it one church at a time, but they're just going right into where God even said to start, which is the home and the family. And they're going into our living rooms and they're going into the palms of our hands and they're pointing us in the wrong direction. So if you want to make big changes in your home, you need to begin to regain the biblical values and the build righteous families by making over the living room because that's where values are determined and taught. The problem is not that values are taught in the living room or in the home, it's what values are taught. The living room is exactly where God wanted values to be determined and developed. From the time God selected a nation for himself and he started to build that nation, God pointed to the importance of the home for training the next generations in righteousness. In fact, I invite you, if you haven't already, to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 to 21 in your Bibles. Deuteronomy 11 verses 16 through 21. And as you're turning, let me set the context of this passage. You might remember that the, the book of Deuteronomy is, it takes place at the end of the 40 years of wilderness wanderings right before Joshua will lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And Deuteronomy, the word, means second law or repetition of the law. And if you've ever read through your Bible, as some of you may be doing this year, you, you read Exodus and you get some law, and you read Leviticus and you get a lot of law, and you read Numbers and you get a lot of law, and then you come to Deuteronomy and you're like, I already read this law. 
And that's because you have. In Deuteronomy, Moses, at the end of his life, takes all of this law that Israel had gotten at all these different places in their wilderness wanderings, and he brings it all together and repeats it for the people there, the second generation that would be going into the promised land. And in chapter 11 specifically, Moses is encouraging the people to love and obey the Lord. And and Moses exhorts the people to consider the Lord's discipline so that they might be strong. In the verses immediately preceding our focal text, God says that if the people will be faithful to the commands he's given them, they will be blessed. However, as we begin our focal passage, God through Moses shifts to a warning. Look at verses 16 and 17. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. The Israelites needed to heed this warning. They are about to enter the promised land that is filled with all kinds of other kind of peoples, serving all kinds of false gods. And already in their Exodus experience and the 40 years of wilderness wanderings, the Israelites showed that they had a propensity for apostasy. I mean, whenever things got a little tough, they were ready to go back to slavery in Egypt. Whenever another seemingly better option came along, they would just fine run after that instead of following God. So as God said, as you come into this promised land, there's going to be temptations to stray away, and you must be warned. God says, look, if you follow me, I'm going to bless you. But if you don't follow me, you're going to experience curses. In fact, that becomes the whole message of the book of Deuteronomy. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you don't obey, you will be cursed. And so just as Israel needed to heed this warning in their day, so we need to hear it, heed it in our day. God says, be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods. Now, obviously, we don't see many Americans bowing down to stone images and that kind of thing. In fact, we might think that's even ridiculous today, and it is. However, every day, our great value teachers push us in the direction of things other than the one true God. In fact, usually what happens today is they make us God. It's all about me and my and mine. They tap into the desires of the flesh that Paul would later remind us about in Galatians chapter 5. In fact, look at this list on the screen. It's scary how our culture taps into this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. But do you notice, think for a moment, that these, ver- these verses read like the content of most talk shows, reality shows, sitcoms, and primetime dramas. Think about what happens in all those shows. It's this kind of stuff. And the more you see that kind of stuff, and the more you hear that kind of stuff, the more you think it's the normal kind of stuff, and the more people do that kind of stuff. Just as Israel, we are tempted by our culture to stray away from God. And right now, culture's winning, but hopefully not for long. You see, God doesn't just stop with a warning. He doesn't just preach at us and say, this is bad, don't do it, stay away. He tells us how both we can avoid and fix the problem. He tells us exactly how to improve our living rooms in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 18. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This passage, if you're familiar with Deuteronomy, is largely a restatement 
of Deuteronomy 6, which is known as the Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul. And he goes on, and it gets down to fix these words on your hands and all that kind of stuff. It's almost a restatement of that. And the truths imparted here are the foundation of biblical instruction. And this morning, we're going to glean three ways that we can improve our living rooms by following these truths. The first one is we can improve our living rooms by focusing on the Word. Instead of focusing on the teaching of culture, we have to focus on the teaching of the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we only read the Bible as a family and we never do anything else and we we never watch television, we never scroll through our phones, but it means that the Bible has a much greater place in our lives. Unfortunately, the Bible has little place in most people's lives. Even though 20 million Bibles are sold annually in America, only 9% of Americans say they read the Bible daily. Less than half of Americans can name the first book of the Bible. What is the first book of the Bible, by the way? Thank y'all. Okay. Less than half, let's see, and, and a quarter do not know what is celebrated on Easter. What's celebrated on Easter? Okay, good. I'm glad y'all know that. But in fact, even Christians don't know what's in the Bible and what's not. George Barna has noted that 80% of born-again Christians believe the saying, God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. Don't raise your hand if you believe that because that means your Bible has a book written by Benjamin Franklin and not by God. I hope the Bible has a primary place in your life. I hope that you have a daily time with the Lord where you encounter that word. It may be five minutes, it may be 15 minutes, it may be an hour, but you take time to be in God's word. And parents, that starts with you because transforming your family starts with your focusing on the word. The word should be the focus of our family. If it's not the focus of your family, make it one. We've got to focus on the word if we want to improve our homes. God says through Moses, fix these words in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. The word should be so much a part of our lives that what you think and what you desire and what you do happen as if the word is doing it through you. As if God is working through you. The Holy Spirit is living through you in the things you think, in the things you desire, in the things that you do. Most of y'all know that our youngest son, Evan, has Down syndrome and a severe form of epilepsy. But he brings home schoolwork that is amazing. It's schoolwork like most kids wouldn't even think about coming home. The crafts especially are so good. And you know how that happens? It's called hand over hand. Evan's teachers put their hands over Evan's hands and they help him to put the right things in the right places and to draw the right things and to glue the right things in the right way. Struck me the other day that that's how the word should be in our lives. God's mind becomes our mind. God's eyes become our eyes. God's hands become our hands. Living through us and the result is an amazing amount of things that take place that we could never do on our own and most people can't do on their own. God works through us. When you focus on the Word, you start seeing the world through the Word and you develop a biblical worldview which causes you to see the world as if looking through biblical glasses. And everything is tinted by the word. And so you start to see the inconsistencies. And you start to see the things that are wrong in the world. And when you see something, good or bad, it's filtered through those glasses. And you see biblical truth coming back. That truth is then reinforced in your own heart. Then it's reinforced in the hearts of your family. And that transformation takes place. And that leads us to our second lesson here. We can improve our living rooms By talking about the word. In verse 19, he says, teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Parents, wherever you go, whatever you do, 
teach the Word, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you're lying down at night, focusing on the Word yourself will help you then allow those, help you teach those around you to focus on the Word. Use the Bible, use other devotional books, use other media to instill the Word in yourself and then in your children and interject biblical truths and values into the routine of everyday life. As you develop your biblical worldview, it's going to help you to interject the Bible into everyday life. Again, God's mind will be your mind. His passions will be your passions. His hands will be your hands. And as you interject the Word of God into your regular routine, you might do something as simple as develop a family prayer time. It might be five minutes, but you pull everybody together and you say, what can we pray about? And then you take turns praying. Very, very simple but it helps keep your family focused. You could find ways to interject the Bible into your family routine, like sharing a devotional together as a family, maybe daily or, or just once a week. There are hundreds of wonderful resources out there that make that easy to do as a family. Uh, you can use books. You can use the Bible app. You can even go to the Right Now Media subscription that is a free gift to our, our church if you would like that. It is amazing the resources that are out there. And your time can be as simple as reading a children's devotional together at breakfast or dinner or as expansive as watching some kind of uh, show on Right Now Media and discussing that together. Moms, I'd encourage you also to do something regularly with your daughters to help them to learn how to be godly women. Dads, do something regularly with your sons to help them to be godly men. It may be a, a weekly breakfast or it may be a, a going and getting for the girls, going to get your nails done and then hanging out and talking about things. But build those conversations that point those kids back to the Lord. If you need help with resources on any of that, email any of our church staff or give us a call. Come visit with us. We'd love to help you find those resources to help you. Conversation as a family around the word develops camaraderie and it develops intimacy. Often one topic leads to another topic and one hurt leads to another hurt that's revealed or one joy leads to another joy that can be celebrated. And it's wonderful when that happens between a parent and a child or spouses or even the whole family. Talk about the word. Talk about it as you go throughout your day. Third, we can improve our living rooms by decorating with the Word. Verse 20 says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Essentially, this is saying that instead of culture being your focus around your home, that God's Word becomes the focus of your home. When Rebecca and I started talking about getting married years and years and years ago, almost 20 years ago now, we both said, you know what? We're not having a preacher house with a bunch of Jesus bric-a-brac everywhere. Well, here's what we learned. When you're a preacher-to-be and you have three wedding showers at three different churches, you get a lot of Jesus stuff. And you don't know where to take it back to. And you're too poor to buy any other decorations, so you might as well use it. We opened boxes. There was this one shower where we kept getting crosses. We'd open a box and there was a cross. It's like, oh, great, another cross. At least there won't be vampires in our house. And huh, another cross. And then I opened this. This became my favorite cross. And I've, I think I may have used this illustration before. But when I opened this one up, and this dude's heavy, I said... This will be good for discipline one day. (laughs) At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, right? (laughs) This cross now hangs in our living room in cross land, as I call it. And no, we've never spanked our kids with it. So don't worry about that. (laughs) Don't call the authorities on us. Well, we realized, you know... So much on the no Jesus stuff. So we, we decorated with it. And then we found out something. That as that stuff was around our home, it became encouragements to us. When we saw a scripture on a wall, 
it inspired us. When we saw the cross, we were reminded of the main point of our ministry. And there's been many times when, when I've been frustrated or down and I look at cross land on the wall and I'm reminded that Jesus paid it all. Or there's times when I walk by a, a beautiful watercolor that we have of our church's cupola and um, the, the psalm, your, your word is a light to my path. And I've, I've paused at that and I thought, Lord, you are that kind of light. All of those things remind us and they, they point us back to the Lord. And that's what God and Moses are getting at here. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gate. Everything points you back to the Lord. Surround yourself with the Word of God. Now, there's an awesome thing that takes place when we follow these plans for improving our homes. You know, there's always an advantage to home improvements, right? I mean, you get more space or you get cabinets that actually work or a toilet that works. Something like that happens, you know? Well, there's the same thing here. There's an advantage, and it's found in verse 21. So that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. How many blessed days is that? It's a lot, right? There's a wonderful blessing that comes from improving our living rooms to teach the right values. God says, focus on the word and I will bless you. Focus on secular culture and the blessing's not going to come. If we will follow God's plans for improving our living rooms by teaching the right values... We can win our families for the Lord. And then we'll win our church for the Lord. And then we'll win our community for the Lord. We'll even eventually win our nation for the Lord. Because we'd be following God's plan. 20 years from now, we could be looking at a very different America. If every Christian family in America would do these things right here. The question is, will you do your part? To make it happen. You can't focus on somebody else. You can't focus on what somebody else is doing wrong. You've got to do what you can do right. And so that's our commitment today. Will you do your part to make it happen. To begin that improvement. That renovation in your living room. I'm not saying get rid of your TV. I'm not saying get rid of your social media. We do that too. I'm just saying elevate what's truly important. Let's go to the Lord today. Lord, we need to commit ourselves to your word. Lord, we're Baptists. We're Bible-believing people. That's our heritage. But Lord, we're not always Bible-using people. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to learn how to permeate our lives and our families with your word. God, my prayer this morning is that every believer in this room and watching over the internet will make the commitment to have a daily time with you. That they'll start there. That your word will be central to their life. Second, God, our prayer is that you'll help those of us as parents who are believers to start demonstrating and teaching the word in our homes. Help us to find the help we need, to not be afraid to ask so that we can get started and see wonderful things take place. God, you want our homes to be blessed. And so, God, help us to pave the way for you to come in and do that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we'll give you an opportunity to respond to this message by singing a song that is familiar to all of us and is a great song of invitation that focuses on God's faithfulness. And that's what we need. We need God to be faithful in our lives. And you may want to come and, and lift up your family to the Lord, asking God to begin the renovation of values in your home. You may want to come and just thank the Lord for the instruction that you received as a child growing up and asking God to do more things in your own family in the days to come. It may also be that, that you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, you know, you can't build the right values into your home if you don't have Jesus in your home. And if you don't have Jesus in your heart, and it starts right there. So I'd encourage you that if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would first realize that you are a sinner. That you admit that, that you've sinned and you've failed. We all have, so that's an easy thing to admit. And then, though, believe in your heart that Jesus, in dying on the cross, took your sins away. 
And he now extends his forgiveness to you. And all you must do is repent of your sins, meaning you turn away from those, and receive his gift of forgiveness. And when you do that, then you confess to those of us here that you want to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. From this day forward, he's coming in to transform your life. So if you'd like to make a commitment today to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd encourage you to come. In just a moment when we stand and sing this song, just come down and say, Pastor, today I'm trusting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Again, the altar's open, but you come as we stand and sing this song of commitment. Great is thy faithfulness. been a great day of worship. Take what we have taught you today and write them on the words of your heart and live it every day. Rebecca Holloway, come and close our service with prayer today. Lord, you are indeed faithful. And we praise you for your faithfulness in our lives. I pray, God, that this word where we have heard today that we would take it to heart, we would apply it to our families and not just be hearers of this word, but doers of it. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would make a difference first in our families and then into the rest of our sphere of influences are all around us. God, as we go out this week, just protect us, keep us under your watch care. And Lord, I just pray that wherever we go, that we are a light shining for you. In Jesus' name, amen.